Welcome to the Exchange Church Podcast. Feel free to join us live on Facebook every Sunday at 10 a.m. at facebook.com slash exchangechurch. The following message is brought to you by Pastor Kevin Kelts. We had, uh, we had some trouble getting here this morning as a worship team, and, and uh, I'm just thankful for these guys who, who are, are gifted and have hearts to, to be able to use their gifts to lead people into a place where we can, we can come. It's not an escapism. It's a, it's a place of finding reality and true perspective. And um, it's, a, it's, it's amazing the power of music, the power of sound, and we're just, we're just gifted and blessed with talented, talented people who have these amazing hearts, and just thank you guys, thank you guys so much. Um, we are, again, like Pastor Jared said, excited to have, have you guys here this morning. If you have your phones, if you could, please get them out, and you can check in on our Facebook page. Um, you can use uh, our hashtag bricks for schools and what that's going to be doing is helping us do missions this morning. Um, we just by your check-ins, we partner with a group who uh, a lot of other churches all over the nation and even the world, uh, all of those check-ins go towards providing different things. And so uh, this this morning we're going to be providing bricks for schools. So hashtag out there. Also, uh, go ahead and share our feed. And uh, you never know who one of your friends may be just scrolling through this morning. And just click on that. And and God just may speak to them something near and dear to their heart and life changing. And so um, if you if you have your Bibles, go ahead and get those out this morning and turn to the book of Mark. We're going on a journey. Who wants to go on a journey with me this morning? Oh man, we got two. Two that are excited about the journey. I am I am excited about this journey that we've been going on for several weeks. This is going to be the fourth part of a series that we have entitled You Are Not Far. And what we've been talking about is against all odds. This story, and, and I need you to go on this journey with me, if you will, to really detach yourself from being an American, living in 2020, and go on a journey with me all the way back to when this book, the Gospel of Mark, was literally written. So 2,000 years ago, in this story of Jesus of Nazareth, it was a story that was starting to be told in Nero's Rome, in an empire that was completely against this man, completely against this movement. It was a story that was trying to, to get out against all odds, even his own people, the Jewish people, the, the powers that be, they were against this too. And somehow, some way, miraculously, this story got out of Rome over 2,000 years ago. This is the story of Jesus. When we read the Gospel of Mark, it is told by the Apostle Peter. It's dictated to John Mark. John Mark, his name is on it because he's the one that wrote it down. He's the one that was listening to Peter, asking him the questions, tell me the stories, and he was writing 
these stories, these real-life stories of Simon Peter and his first-hand accounts with Jesus. Think about this. I'm so thankful that Mark took the time to write these first-hand accounts of Simon Peter down. So Simon Peter is one of Jesus' most famous disciples, and after the death, burial, and resurrection, the ascension of Christ, he spends 30 years of his life traveling from town to town, from city to city, city to city, telling his story. That was just for you, Pastor Jared. (laughs) And he's telling his story about Jesus, about not what he just heard, but what he saw. He saw Jesus. He walked with him. He saw him die. He saw him come to life. Now think about this. If you are a new believer of the way, that's what they called it back then, 2,000 years ago, what an opportunity when Peter comes to your town. Peter is now in his 50s. He's, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm staring pretty close at 50, and he he's in a place in his life where things have changed. He His perspective has changed. A lot of things that Jesus said when he said it didn't make sense to to Peter when he was with him, but now they make complete sense. And he's talking to these people. I I can't imagine what type of celebrity the Apostle Peter would have been when he came to your village. And, you know, it it would be, think of your your favorite, most famous, uh, you know, Christian hero, maybe like Billy Graham, you know, for me as a kid, watching him on TV, and just like, you know when the Apostle Peter comes to your town, and to be able to sit down, have him in your home, break bread with him, and to hear from somebody that didn't, didn't, wasn't just telling a story that they heard, but did life with Jesus, walked with Jesus, it, it, it was just amazing, so Peter's his, his uh, friend that was his traveling companion was John Mark. And John Mark is in a place where he, he is, he's knowing that Peter, at the time that he writes all this down, he, he realizes, I'm not sure that Peter did, but he realizes that Peter's in trouble and he's not going to make it out of Rome alive, which he didn't. So I'm so thankful that he took the time to ask Peter, hey, I've heard all these stories, but would you just take one more time and tell them all to me? As, and I'm going to, and he, he realized too that, so, so Peter was an uneducated man. He was from a very rural area. He, he couldn't read or write. He, you know, I'm going to put these down for you. Let, I, what I want to, to tell you this morning is when Mark did this, And when Peter was sharing the story for Mark to write down, neither one of them in their minds was thinking, this is going to be the Bible. Everybody say the Bible. That idea didn't even exist at that time. Like if we could get in a time machine and go back to their day and show up, DeLorean, right? Back to the future, we're there, we see them, and we say those two words together, 
the Bible. They don't speak English anyway, so they wouldn't understand. But they don't, they've never heard that word, the Bible. It doesn't exist yet. See, it's not until 400 years later that the Roman Empire has completely changed. The leader of the Roman Empire has converted to Christianity, maybe out of true heart change, probably out of political wanting to um, change his, his whole empire. And when he does that, he now makes it legal because before then, this document that Mark wrote down that comes to us as we know now, the gospel of Mark, it was illegal. Anybody caught with it would be persecuted to the point of death. They would die for it. And so 400 years after this was written, that was one of the the questions that they asked at the Council of Carthage. And when they compiled, there was tons of documents that they left out. When they put into the 66, one of the questions they asked is, what are Christians willing to die for in the last 400 years? And the Gospel of Mark was one of them. It was so important. It It was copied, hand copied, and passed on. I can tell you that I believe that Mark knew that this was special. And he knew that it needed to be written down and documented so that it could be passed on to other people. But in no way did Mark know that he was writing the Bible. Mark wasn't writing the Bible. He didn't even know there would be such a thing. That wasn't in his mind. It wasn't in the mind of the Apostle Peter. Please understand, Mark was actually just documenting the experience of Peter with Jesus. Let me know. The reason I say that, guys, is because we live in a time and a culture that I've seen change in my generation. There are a lot of people that are just turned off in culture today when they hear the word the Bible. There are some negative connotations, especially in the um, university realm and the thing in, in the thinkers uh, realm where they start to look at different parts and say well this seems to contradict this and that seems to contradict that and so I believe that we have life we have the answers they come from Jesus people need to hear them and what I'm saying this morning is if we could just be able to have a conversation with somebody and let them know this guy wasn't writing what we call the Bible. He was just taking a first-hand account of Peter. Peter was telling him what he actually had seen and lived with Jesus. And that, to me, is what we're going to talk about today. And That, to me, is so, so powerful. Now, when you start to read the book of Mark, Peter starts letting us know immediately that he remembers. He's like, Mark, I remember that he had a message, and it was very consistent. And we see this message. It was in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. From town to town, from crowd to crowd, Jesus would speak this message to people, and he would say this, the time has come. He was saying, the wait is over. Everything that the law and the prophets pointed to, what you've been waiting for is here. It is now. The time has come. 
the kingdom of God, Jesus would look at this crowd. Now listen, he didn't say this to you and me. We're, 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 we're back 2,000 years ago. This is who he said this to. He said this, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. What was he doing? He was announcing the kingdom age. He was, he, that he was about to inaugurate through his death, burial, resurrection. He was announcing to them something shocking. He was announcing to them that the old covenant was coming to an end and that the new covenant was about to begin. It was, to a lot of people, disruptive. It was, to a lot of people, very negative. Because you have to understand the people that he was speaking to, uh, we understand Jesus came to his own people, the Jews. And they had been under this law, their relationship with God, for over 1,500 years, 1,500 years. Think about how many generations, and my grandpa, and my grandpa's grandpa, and my grandpa's grandpa did it this way. And it all revolved around a temple system where if you had any transgressions in your life, which sin in their day was called a transgression of the law that was given to Moses. And when you had that in your life, if you were lucky, you would be able to make it to the temple and you would have a sacrifice that would now, it would cover your sins. That's how they knew it. And Jesus shows up and he says, I'm God in a bod. He says, I'm greater than Moses. I'm greater than the temple. He said these things to these people. And guys, it, 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 you, I just, you can't understand how shocking it was when he said these things. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. And the appropriate response then in his message was, repent. Everybody say repent. Everybody say repent. He says repent and believe this good news. Now here's the thing. That word, if you were raised in church like I was, in my environment, in the culture that I was raised in, that word had a negative connotation, repent. It has a negative connotation because somebody gave you a filter and told you that that's what that was. I, you know, to me... I have nightmares of, you know, uh, evangelists and, and my pastor growing up, getting up in front of the church and naming sin and saying, I know you guys have these sins. You need to get right with God, repent, and you need to come to the altar. And, and, and they weren't going to stop until they got everybody down to the altar to beg and plead and cry, oh, God, we had really recreated a temple system, an old covenant. And we had come down, and, and our sacrifice was our prayer. Our sacrifice was our broken heart. Our sacrifice, we were laying it down. You know, what Jesus Christ had done wasn't enough, and I need to add to it. And, that, and, and I had nightmares of that. Listen, if you go and just study the word repent, you'll find out very simply the word repent is not a bad word. There's no negative connotation there. It literally means, it's the Greek word metanoia, which means a change of mind. Jesus was saying, a new kingdom is come. And again, he's not saying this to you and you and you. He's saying this to those people in that day in an old covenant under the law. And he's saying, 
you need to change your mind. What you've always thought and what you've always lived and how you thought it was, change your mind because I'm about to blow your mind. The way that it's always been is over. It's no more. The temple system is coming to the end. Before Moses was, I am. He would say things like this. And, and, and there were certain people that were in, in you know, leadership that would rip their, they would get, they would, they would rip their tunics and they would gnash their teeth and they would want to kill him because the temple was life. The temple represented God. It was holy. It represented everything. They wouldn't even, they wouldn't even say the name of God. It was so holy. And he wants to come in and say all these things and try to change our minds. See, it doesn't make any sense the way that I was taught, repent, for Jesus to come in and say, you know, repent. You guys understand that you're under the old covenant and the law. So change your minds. For I say to you, you're under the old covenant and the law. Does that make any sense? No. He says, repent, change your mind, and believe the good news. The good news. It's news that's so good. It's too good to be true. But they didn't want to. They didn't want to turn to this new kingdom, this new mindset. The people in that day and that time had been oppressed for years and years and years, and now they're oppressed by the Roman government, and they've been praying to Jehovah God, send us another Moses. Send us another deliverer. And they had an expectation that when he comes, he will set us, us, I mean, they were very, for lack of a better word, racist. Us, Jews, up on, up on the mountaintop. We will not be oppressed anymore. We will be the head and not the tail. We will put Rome underneath our feet. We're tired of this. The king is coming, and when he comes, oh, it's going to be glorious. He's going to come, and he's going to come in mouth might and power. He's going to come and set our people free. It's going to be, it's going to be amazing. Maybe he's going to bring locusts. Maybe he's going to turn the water, all of it, into blood. Maybe, maybe, I don't, they, they just, they had revenge on their minds. And when Jesus shows up, he's preaching a new kingdom, preaching love, preaching turn the other cheek, preaching the old covenant temple system is no more to do. Last week, we discovered when Pastor Jerry was talking, when Jesus got angry, he didn't get angry because he didn't get his way. He got angry when religion got in the way. Jesus got angry when people used his father's words to hurt the people that his father loved. And in the middle of one of the controversies with the religious leaders, these, these Pharisees and teachers of the law, Jesus drops a bomb on them. That's where we left off in Mark chapter 2, verse 27. Jesus looks at them, and this, this is not a bomb to you and me. It's not like, oh my gosh, when we hear it. But I can tell you, back then when he said it, Jesus says, the Sabbath was made 
for a man, not a man for the Sabbath. 2,000 years ago, people living under the law in a temple system who were taught that you have to keep the Sabbath holy. You cannot do anything. I mean, you can't even heal somebody on the Sabbath. And then all of a sudden, Jesus looks these guys in the eyes and says, no, guess what? And he heals somebody on the Sabbath in front of them. They were furious. They were angry. It it's hard for us to understand, but the implications that Jesus was, was giving when he did this is that God loves his people more than he loves his commandments. Jesus was making the point that God created the commandments. God created the laws. God created his instructions not for the sake of controlling behavior modification. No, it was a gift for people because he loves us. And to illustrate this, he he breaks the traditions of the elders by, they would say, not keeping the Sabbath holy. And they are furious. They can't believe that he is doing this. And as a result on healing on the Sabbath, the religious leaders are so angry, it stirs up trouble. And a most unusual thing happens, and this is where we left off last week, and I want to pick up right here in the middle of all this controversy where Jesus is working so hard and he's healing so many people, ministering to so many people. Peter is, is telling Mark to write, write this down. And he goes, what, next, what happens next was this. He's like, Jesus' mama shows up, and she says, he, talking about Jesus, is out of his mind. To which Mark must have picked up the, the, you know, whatever he was using, the tool that he was writing down with on parchment, and says, oh, just a second, are you sure you want me to write that? You sure you want me to include that? And he's like, yeah, we have to. I was there. I saw it, and that's what she said. But the reason that it was included is to make a point. You see, even his mother was a devout Jew. And the things that he was teaching and preaching were so shocking and so out there that even his own mom thought he had lost his mind. I can tell you that in my years of ministry, I have been said about me, just like Jesus, he has lost his mind. She was confused. I don't know. Like, like Jesus, why do you have to tip over everything? Why, why, why can't we just be good with the powers that be with our people? Why, why say these things? Why not just lead, lead our people and lead them well? Why not? Why, just stop saying this. I, you know, I feel like he's lost his mind. Somebody say something to him. To which the leaders, the Sadducees and the Pharisees would take it even further. And they would say, it's recorded in Mark chapter 3, verse 22. Yeah, he's lost his mind. And they were walking around telling people, this man is actually possessed. Because they wanted to ruin his character. They wanted to, they saw that he had momentum. And the crowds were following him. And they needed to cut this off as quickly as they could. So they were saying, yeah, even his mom says that he's crazy. Even, guys, we, I'm telling you right now, this is not of God. This man is 
possess. And it's so interesting because I think when Peter is dictating this, Mark, Mark is like, man, I, 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 this, is, this is crazy. I mean, we're, we're going to include all of this stuff? And he's like, yeah, you have to because people need to understand. And so Peter goes on to say at one point, the crowds grew so much. They tried to get away from the crowds. There were so many people around. They jump into the boat. They cross the Sea of Galilee. And he said, even though that they had spent all their plan, try, all their time trying to plan this escape, they got to the other side. And as soon as they got out of the boat, the people recognized Jesus. And check this out in Mark chapter 6, verse 55. The, he, uh, Peter tells us, he's like, Mark, they ran throughout the whole region and they carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard that he was. And wherever he went into villages and towns and countrysides, he's like, I was there. And they were taking their sick in the marketplace. Now, before we just stop, before we just read by that, I want to stop and think about that. It's amazing that that the crowds were so so big and word was gathering so fast um, that he was healing. These miracles were taking place. And so they were going and they were grabbing all of their sick, people with disease, people with infirmities, people that were blind, and they would go and they would anticipate his route and they would run up ahead of him. And on the path, it was, can you imagine just sick people lined up as you walked and hoping that he would take the time to lean down and heal their loved one and what happened is next is as the crowds grew and grew and grew, Peter tells us that there's some new faces that started to show up in the crowd. In fact, they were hostile faces. Here's what happens next in Mark chapter 7, verse 1. He said, the Pharisees and some teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus. Now, this is a big deal. And please catch the town that they were from. So where was the Sadducees and the, uh, the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law from? What town? Jerusalem, right? And so looking on the map, this is a picture of the Holy Land. And so Jesus and the Sea of Galilee, this is where his people are up here. This is where he's doing his thing. And all the way down here in Jerusalem, this is about a six or seven day journey for them. They didn't have cars or airplanes back then, helicopters or drones, right? They had to walk, camels, donkeys. And so it was a six or seven mile walk. And what happened is word got to the temple. There is a guy who is a brilliant teacher. He's a rabbi. And he's going around and he's saying that he's God in a bod, that he is the Messiah, he's going around, and he is stirring up some trouble. Our jobs are at stake. He's saying that we're not needed anymore. He's saying that the temple is not needed anymore, that everything that we've always known is not needed. And so the powers that be in Jerusalem sent a delegation all the way up to where Jesus was. And when they got there, they wanted to see what was going on. They had heard, but they wanted to see for themselves. What is this all about? And in Mark chapter 7, verse 2, Peter tells us that some of his disciples, this is what, the, this, is what this delegation saw, some of his disciples were eating food with hands that were defiled. That is, un 
wash. Now, Mark, who is the one that's writing this down as Peter is dictating it to him, he knows that there's going to be people that are not Jews that are going to read this. And so he is also not a Jew. Uh, John Mark is not. And so he has some understanding, and he gives us some inside information in the next verse. In verse 3, he says, The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. Now, pause. Let's jump you back in America in 2020. When you guys eat today and y'all go after and you whatever you're going to eat today, do you do a ceremonial washing according to the oral Torah before you eat your food today? And do you eat pork? Do you eat things that are unclean? Do you practice a diet that goes hand in hand with what the law, the written Torah, and the oral Torah said? Any of you? Here, raise your hands if you're practicing that right now. None of us are doing that, okay? Pause. Let's go back in time all the way back to when this is going on. They were. In Jesus' day, you don't mess with this. One of the things that they were most proud of was their diet and the way that they carried themselves. And this ceremonial washing, it was not something that to us it seems like, that's not a big deal. You didn't wash your hands. <laughs> no, 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 no. This was, this was like to them it would, it would be. The only thing that I can think of off the top of my head is like, I remember one time I decided as a child, that, and, and things have changed since then, I decided to wear my cap into the church. And I didn't know that, you know, the church was where God lived. I thought it was us, but I guess God lived in there, and this was the most holy place. And I had a lady slap that hat off my head and said, you do not respect the house of God. You need to get out of here, and I'm going to talk to your mother. Did anybody ever grow up in a place like that or know of anybody like that? Okay. All right, it's that type of thinking, it's that type of mentality, right? And all of a sudden, they show up thinking, are the things that we've heard true? And the first thing that they see are his followers are not practicing the ceremonial washings that we all do. This is unclean, and there are penalties to be paid for such a thing. We need to talk to this guy. He, the, we, can't, we can't deal with this. I mean... There is something that's going on that we do not agree with. You see, back then, there was a myth that when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, that most of us know about the Big Ten, right? Well, he also, there was a myth that there was, along with the written law, God gave something to the Jews called the Oral Torah. Okay, the oral law. This oral Torah was hundreds and hundreds of extra laws and traditions that people were, were, were called to memorize. They were called to live out on a daily basis. They were never written down, but they were just passed on verbally, one to another. And so for hundreds and hundreds of years, hundreds and hundreds of these Oral laws are passed down. And in the first century, the temple leaders felt like they were the overseers of not only the, 
the written Torah, but the oral Torah, the unwritten laws. And now, historically, there's no evidence that this actually happened or existed, that that was actually given to Moses. In fact, by the first century, the number of rules and laws in the oral Torah had gotten so big and so crazy in number. There were so many, it was difficult even for the Pharisees to agree with each other on which ones were actually in it or not. And so Jesus shows up, and he's teaching, and he's healing, and I'm telling you, he doesn't buy into it at all because he's bringing a new way. He's bringing a new day. He's bringing a new kingdom that has nothing to do with any of that, and the Pharisees hated this. So Mark chapter 7, verse 5, so the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? It's like that lady who slapped that cap off my head and said, you don't have any honor. You don't have any respect. That's what they were saying, right? So they had taken one of these laws that was never written down, and they had equated it with God's word, not the Bible, but God's word to them, right, which they held in high esteem. And then they were accusing, think about this, they were accusing Jesus' followers of not being right with God, of breaking the law. And all of a sudden there is this tension. These, these, these leaders from Jerusalem have come up from the temple. They're in the crowd. They notice these things. And before they have any conversation with Jesus, there's tension. They see they're breaking the law. We do not like this. Well, again, Jesus and his response is very interesting. And, and as Peter is telling Mark this story, I'm telling you, when it first happened to him, he was not comfortable with it, but he might have kind of laughed. When he's telling it to him, he's like, you're not going to believe what Jesus did. It was so uncomfortable. And Mark is like, whoa, well, what did he do? And he's like, well, he didn't let them finish. Jesus laid into them, man. He was angry. And he said, Isaiah was right. Now, remember what was happening. They're quoting an oral Torah. Okay? Jesus goes right to something that had been written, actually written down in what they would call their Hebrew scripture, in their written Torah. He goes, he, and it, this is something they held in high esteem. In Mark chapter 6, verse 7, he says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. Pause, time out, times, times out. Okay. What? I was taught a hypocrite was growing up when I was a kid and then in my young adulthood is not what Jesus just said is a hypocrite. I was told I was a hypocrite because somehow I had found the way and I used to be bad and now I was good. He had made me good, but somehow I still struggled with and they would hold these, the written Torah, they would hold the Ten Commandments, the, the law, which is Old Covenant law, which I have never, ever been under the Old Covenant. I have only always been in the New Covenant. I don't know about you. We're all after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And they would hold these laws over me, and they would say, 
almost painted a picture to me that God was, was you know, this weird being in the sky, and, and, and he was keeping a record, and then he wasn't keeping a record, and he was keeping a record, and he wasn't keeping a record. And like, I was down here going, he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. I'm in, I'm out, I'm not sure, I'm not sure what's going on. And then they would say, you hypocrite. You need to calm down, and you need to beg for forgiveness. Every Sunday, I did. I begged for forgiveness. Oh, God, please. I'm so sorry. I'll never do it again. I promise, I promise, I promise. Jesus says that's not his definition of a hypocrite. Now, if you go into the word what hypocrite actually is, we could argue one way or the other. But I'm telling you, Jesus' definition of a hypocrite is, let's look at it. He looks at them right smack in the windows of their soul. And he says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. Now, listen, when, when he says this, Peter and I'm just, I'm just making this part up. I'm thinking that he may have had a side conversation with Mark and said, bro, it, we cringed. Because the people that were praying for a Messiah and devout Jews who were just sick and tired of being sick and tired and being oppressed for generation after generation, if it wasn't Nebuchadnezzar, it was Nero. It was, if it wasn't Nero, it was Pharaoh. It was where they were always, they were always the hill. They were always the bottom. And they just want to be on top, send a Messiah, God. And then the Messiah shows up and they're excited. These disciples are believers and they're putting their whole lives into them. And somehow, some way, guys, I'm telling you, even to the very end, we don't have time to go into it. But all the way up to the end, they're thinking that this thing is political. And it's only for their people. So much to after 30 or 20 years after Peter uh, is walking around after the death, burial, and resurrection, he still has a problem speaking to Gentiles because he thought it was only for them, okay? So he's like, man, they sent a delegation all the way up to here, and the entire time we were up here, us guys, us disciples together were thinking, man, I hope sometime they send some guys up here because they'll see Jesus and they'll see him who he really is because he'll be, ah, you can see, ah, you get to live, ah, I'm walking on water, signs, wonders, and miracles. This must be the Messiah will develop then some, some, some uh, type of, you know, strength and, and trust with the powers that be in Jerusalem because we need friends in Jerusalem. And they show up, and they're thinking, oh, man, that's, that's one of the teachers of the law. Oh, that's one of the, the famous Pharisees. And they see him in the crowd, and he's like, Mark, we were so excited that they were here. And then Jesus pops off on them, man, and we're like, please, can't you just take it easy, man? Because Jesus, eventually we think that we all are going to gain momentum and come down here in Jerusalem, and we're going to be a great people, and we're all going to gather together as one big family here, and that's how we're going to overtake the empire. We need friends here. 
are you doing this? He says, but Jesus didn't calm down. Jesus said, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written. Jesus quotes their scripture to them. He says, these people, this is what Isaiah had said, these people honor me with their lips. In other words, they've learned to say the right things, right? And that's what religious people do, right? To be honest, we say all the right things, but he says this, they say all the right things, but their hearts are far from me. And he did that in front of everybody. Think about how embarrassing that was for those guys. They were already mad. You think they got glad? They were already lying about him and saying that he was out of his mind and that he was possessed. Do you think they wanted to be him to be their Messiah? It's because he was breaking down everything that they believed, man. He was starting something completely new. Completely and totally new. Jesus was telling them the kingdom of God has come near, but your hearts are from me. You cannot recognize what my Father is doing right now. So repent. Change your minds. Have a true change of heart. And then he says, he continues to say what Isaiah said, they worship me in vain and their teachings are merely human rules. This is how we know that Jesus didn't buy into this oral Torah myth. He said, you guys have just made these things up. You've added rules on top of rules on top of rules, and you've passed it along from one generation to the next generation. You've made stuff up, turning religion now into a game that only you can win. And guys, it still happens today. Religious leaders still do this all the time, preaching a mixture of new covenant and old covenant, adding old covenant laws to this and trying to keep us under condemnation, trying to keep us manipulating, trying to keep us doing what's right, and it doesn't ever work. Jesus would look at a person like that and say, you hypocrite, you say all the right words, but your heart is far from this kingdom so repent change change your mind oh peter is just like mark i was cringing i couldn't believe it i couldn't believe he was telling him off like he was telling him off he says for moses jesus goes on and understand moses was their guy moses was their deliverer he was everything to them he says for moses actually said he, he's like this wasn't oral torah This wasn't merely made-up traditions. He says, Moses actually said, honor your father and your mother. And you may guys all recognize that as number five of the Big Ten, right? Of the commandments that they had back in the Old Covenant, which none of us have ever been in the Old Covenant, but they were, right? What is it? Honor your father and your mother. Now, what I'd want to bring out for just a second is because he continues And bringing out that commandment in that covenant, speaking to people under that law in that day, what he says next is, for Moses also said anyone who curses their father and their mother to be put to death. In other words, ignoring one's responsibility to their parents back in that day was was such a big deal. It wasn't a minor infraction. Under the old covenant, if you did that, you could be put to death. And when Jesus does this, it's very important that you understand 
that Jesus, when he talked about the law to people under the old covenant, he never detaches the old covenant law from the punishments that were associated with it, which people today, when they pull laws out of the old covenant, they don't talk anything about the punishments that went with it that were according to the old covenant. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been trying to manipulate and somebody's been tried to bring you up under law and when they did it, they didn't say, and if you don't, I'm going to kill you. We will stone you. They don't bring that part into it. But I'm telling you, every time Jesus, when he talks about that, he never divorces the old covenant law from the punishment associated with those laws. But so many modern pastors do, churches and Christians do this all the time. They're really quick to take something out of the old covenant that doesn't apply to us in the first place because none of us have ever lived in the old covenant. But they'll reach back in the old covenant rules and laws and bring it into our new covenant lives where they never bring with it the punishments. And by the way, this is super important to know that modern-day Christians living in new, uh, new covenant, we do not honor our father and our mothers because Moses told us, told us to do so. Moses is not our God. Listen, in fact, as we roll through the gospel together, this is what Peter wants us to understand because he is telling his story to Mark. Mark is writing it down. He knows, Peter knows the end of the story. He knows about the final Passover. He knows about the crucifixion. He knows about the resurrection. And suddenly he tells this story so much that he's, he's told it so much that Jesus said that now it's starting to make sense to him. And in, in hindsight... It gets to this place where in this new covenant, guys, the reason that we honor our father and our mother is because of who we are. You see, through the death, burial, and the resurrection, I want you to understand that Jesus, he fixed a sight problem, not a nature problem. We don't honor our fathers and mothers because the Ten Commandments say so. We honor our father and mother because God is love and God is in us. And if we'll repent, if we'll change our mindsets and what has been taught to us and believe what's already true about ourselves, what is already in us will come out of us. Again, I'll say this. There is a kingdom that when Peter is saying these things to Mark, he is now on the other side. He's not in the old covenant anymore. He's in the new covenant. He understands that when Jesus came, through his death, burial, and resurrection, he was setting up the new covenant. He said the kingdom is near now, when Peter is saying it, the kingdom has come. And a new covenant has come, and it is a new covenant based on better principles. It is not rules on rocks anymore. Now Jesus says, I've placed it in your heart. Because now you know who you really are. I'll say it again. Jesus fixed a sight problem, not a nature problem. You see, it's interesting to me that once Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 9, he said, guys, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. 
Everybody say father. Go study that. Look up the word. The Greek word is pater. It literally means origin. Say origin. It's, it's way deeper than you think. Jesus was saying, if you've seen me, think about this. You've seen your origin. You've seen where you, where you, where you came from. Who you came from. So the message was when we see Jesus, we see our origin. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, we're taught, as he is, so are we. You know, the struggle with so many of us with Jesus is we have been taught, and so then we categorized Jesus in a different category than us. He's so holy. He's so awesome. We're so gross. We're so worms. We're so sinful. He's light. We're darkness. That's what we've been taught. But it's interesting that when Jesus shows up and he starts his new kingdom, he turns everything upside down, and the whole revelation that he's bringing is, hey, there's no separation. You're the same as me. We're in the same category. But that's not what I was taught growing up in church. I was taught many mixture, the old covenant laws, and it was applied to me, and that something was wrong with me, that I had a nature problem. Like what was, uh, the? I think it was three weeks ago when Pastor Jared was, was taking us through the book of Mark, and he was sharing when they were talking about old, uh, new wine can't go into old wineskin. I was taught that I was the old wineskin and that I was born through Adam. I had a sinful nature. I was sin and I was awful and that I needed to how somehow now have this miracle happen and that I could now become a new wineskin so new wine could be poured into me. And Pastor Jared so eloquently showed us that that is not what he was talking about at all. He was actually talking about a covenant. He was talking about a kingdom. And he was saying, this this old covenant system is the old wineskin, and I can't put what I want to into that. So I have established a new kingdom, a new wineskin. And so, you know, these were things that I was taught. I was taught that I had this nature problem, but what I came to find out is I never had a nature problem. I had a sight problem. I want to read very quickly from John chapter 1. And in two words, I want you to be looking for, I'll put it up on the, the screen for you. I want you to be looking for the words light and dark. So note the words light and dark, lightness and darkness. So John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the word. Is that talking about the Bible? Anybody? No, good, good, good. Who's the word that it's talking about right there? Jesus. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God to, look, it says right here, he, not talking about the Bible, he, Jesus, he was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things, everybody say all things, all things, all things, through him, all things, speaking again to our origin. All things were made without him. Nothing was made that has been made. So right there, our origin has been spoken to. I mean, would you consider that you were something that was made? 
Amen? You were something that was made. So everything that has been made was made by him. So right there, he's speaking to your origin again, that you came from Jesus. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe he himself was not the light. John was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives the light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. That word light in the original language, it literally means spiritual understanding. And the word darkness, it means spiritual blindness or even ignorance. You don't know what you don't know. And Jesus showed up to a people, not to us. He showed up to people under an old covenant who were blind. And they couldn't see. They couldn't see God. And Jesus needed them to see the Father. So let me read that to you again. And I'm going to put in where light, I'm going to put spiritual understanding. That's what it means. And where it's dark, we're going to put spiritual blindness. So in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God. And the, it was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning. Through him, come on somebody, all things were made. That's you and me included. Thank you, God. Without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life. In who? Jesus, the word, was life. And that life was the spiritual understanding. Of all mankind, the spiritual understanding, listen to this, shines in the spiritual blindness, and the spiritual blindness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that the spiritual understanding, uh, that spiritual understanding, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the spiritual understanding. He came only as a witness to the spiritual understanding. The true spiritual understanding that gives spiritual understanding to everyone. We're talking about spiritual understanding to everyone. Was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him. They did not recognize him. They could not Part of Jesus' mission statement recorded in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. It's a prophecy from the prophet Isaiah. Jesus quotes when he's saying, I am he. And part of my mission is I will bring recovery of sight to the blind. And the main message for evangelical teaching is that Jesus would come and you were bad and you were ugly and you are sinful, and you need change from sinner to saint, from disapproved to approved, from not accepted to accepted. But in Jesus' mission statement, he doesn't mention that he would bring a new, re new nature and replace a sin nature. He does say, however, that he came to bring recovery of sight to the blind. And if you study that word, it does mean physical sight because we know that he literally healed people that could not see they were blind and then they could see physically but it also means spiritual sight and that's mostly what he did 
is bring spiritual sight. So when Jesus came, he declared, I'm an ophthalmologist, right? You guys don't have a nature problem. You have a sight problem. So right away, he settles your origin. There's nothing that was created that wasn't created by me. If you've seen me, you've seen your origin. You've seen your nature. As I am, so are you. Man, it's so powerful. See, these people had an improper view of God 2,000 years ago. They were spiritually blind. And Jesus was their ophthalmologist to bring them proper vision. And the thing that perpetuated the spiritual blindness, please hear me, the veil over their eyes was the old covenant law. Paul tells us it was a veil. They could not see. And so Jesus comes and he brings sight to the blind that, guess what? In him you live and have your being, that you belong, that you're not somebody that's on the outside, that you are accepted, that you are loved and loved unconditionally. This is what Jesus wanted everybody to see. That's why the temple system had to go. It was only for the Jews. He's like, guys, this is good news, and it's not just good news for you. It's good news for the entire world, for everybody. And once we do that, once we accept that naturally, naturally, when we see ourselves as who we are, guess what naturally flows out of us? I'm going to murder everybody. I'm going to go around sinning. I'm going to go and find, and find any loophole I can to be sinful. <laughs> yeah, because that's my nature. Does that make any sense? No. Once you have your spiritual blindness taken away and you see who you really are in him, what naturally flows out of you? is you love your mother and your father. You love your mother and your father. You honor your mother and your father. Jesus gave us one command in this new covenant, and it was to love one another as he has loved us. But it's not a command. It's a natural connection, relationship, lifestyle that flows out naturally, not because I'm told to. It's because it's who I am. And so one of the one another's is my mom and dad. And so I'm naturally going to love them. And when, and when I make mistakes and when I hurt them, naturally that's going to hurt me. And I'm going to go to them and ask for forgiveness for that and make things right with them. I'm sorry. I apologize. I made a mistake. This is the culture of the kingdom. And so back to the story. And we'll, we'll, we'll land this plane. Jesus talking to the Pharisees. He says, for Moses actually said, honor your father and your mother. And anyone who curses their father and their mother must be put to death. But you say, in other words, that was the written law, but y'all got these oral, oral codes that have been handed down. But you say, 
if anyone declares what might have been used to help their father or mother is, is Corbin, that is devoted to God. Everybody say devoted to God. It's important you understand that because it's this part is, it, if you don't study this out, it's, it, it, it's kind of tricky. Then he says this, you no longer let them do anything for their father and mother. This would have really cut to their heart, and let me explain why. Something had happened that was very ugly in their culture that they were not proud of. The powers that be, the the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they'd gotten to a place where everybody say devoted to God. They, they really pushed that, that everything is God's. Everything needs to be devoted to God. And so what had happened was people, you understand that just like in our day, even back in their day, if you have an elderly mother and father, it, it's expensive to take care of them. And so what was happening is people in their day were jumping on the bandwagon and saying, that's right. Everything that I have is not mine. And they would literally go to the temple and declare, it's all God's. It's all Jehovah's. I give it all to God. And while I'm here, I'm going to use it to be able to get my basic needs done. But then when they would have a, like a salesman show up at their house, and they would say, I would like to sell you this. I have need of your money. They would say, oh, I can't give you any money because I don't have any money. They would say, well, you, you live in a very wealthy neighborhood. You have, very, you have lands. Sorry, it's not mine. It's God's. And they had found a loophole. And it had gotten so bad that like when a neighbor or a family member would, would come to them and say, hey, brother, I really need help. I'm in dire straits. Can you help me with some cattle? Can you help me with some gold? They would say, you know, I'd love to. But you know, everything that I have is devoted to God. It's the temple's. I wish I could, but I can't. And so they were using an an oral Torah as a loophole now to hurt the people that God loved. And Jesus did not like this at all. They knew that it was not right, but he takes it to the highest. And he says, and now even your parents that are elderly, you're not taking care of them. And when they come and they need somebody to take care of them, you're saying, I can't. It's not mine. It's God's. And they're not stepping into loving, honoring, respecting. And you know what Jesus calls that? You hypocrites. 
honor me with your mouth. You get up here and you could quote me every written law and every oral law. You'll, you'll sit here and as they come into the temple, you'll let them know of laws that they didn't even know of. And all the time, you're using these as a loophole this is not our kingdom. This is not my father. And I will not stand for it. You are hypocrites. And guys, it started a war. These powers that be hated him. They immediately started plotting to kill him. His own people. They immediately go back all the way to Jerusalem to the temple and say, we got to take this guy out, whatever it takes. He's dangerous. We can't have this happening anymore. And if you'll go and you'll read in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, it's recorded that Jesus began to teach his disciples. He would say this, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders And be rejected by the chief priests, were they in Jerusalem, and the teachers of the law. And Peter, in that moment, he would have told Mark, I didn't get it. I just didn't get it, man. I was angry. I, I, I felt like he was, he, he, he was dishonoring our people. And he, I, I did, he goes, but Mark, now? 30 years later, this kingdom that we live in, it's going to change the world. It's for everybody. And so I would just ask you this morning, alluding to the message that Jesus, as he would walk around teaching about the kingdom, from Mark chapter 1, verse 15, he said, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. I would just ask you, understanding what that really means and who that was meant to 2,000 years ago, Are there some things in your life that you're walking through even today where you see that you have taken on just because of what you taught, you were taught, what was passed down to you? You just didn't understand. We're going to apply this in a different way, not in the original application. But nowadays, what places do we need to repent? What places do we need to change our mind and be set free and have a spiritual understanding of who we really are? Where are the places that we have been being held back? And I'm going to ask uh, somebody to come and, and play. I just, I think that for years and years and years, it, it was something that I held on to so much 
I didn't think that God could love me. I thought I was too awful. I thought that I, I just continually looked at all of these laws and commandments that weren't applied to me, but they were applied to me through people that I trusted. And and as I close, I just I just want to pray for everyone. Because next week, we're going to pick right up where the story ended. And I don't want you guys to miss out on part five. But there is something that we can do on this side of the cross and living in this kingdom. That we can be set free of these filters that were taught to us, these things that were holding us back. So I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your head for a moment and let me pray for you. God, there are, are times in our lives where things are misrepresented, things are, are brought to us, and they're brought to us as light, but really it's darkness. And a lot of that was going on 2,000 years ago. In fact, for 1,500 years before that, that's, that's what was taking place. People couldn't see who they were. People couldn't see how you were. But then you came in the form of your son to set the record straight, to establish a new way, a new day, a new covenant, a new kingdom, a kingdom of love. And so... Today, Father, as, as we hear this and we hear what you would call a hypocrite, what that is, Lord God, I would pray that just some of the, the shackles and chains, some of the, the condemnation where we believe that we were dirty, that we are these horrible hypocrites, that we can start to see that Really, we've not had a nature problem. We've just had a vision problem. We just couldn't see you. We couldn't see ourselves. And as we start to see you, who you really are, as we start to see ourselves as who we are in you, that we know who we are and we know whose we are. I am so thankful that I don't even need to pray this, that naturally what will happen is life. Life, life will come forth. Light will come forth. Love, joy, peace, happiness, kindness, self-control, gentleness. These things will just come out of us naturally, naturally. And so I speak that and I declare that this morning. In the mighty name of Jesus. Everybody said amen.